Hello, 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 and welcome back to the show. What's it got one on, everybody? All right, let us continue on this, uh, what feels like a bit of a three-part series here as far as, um, my introductory stuff. It's going, okay? Um, we talked about the... Uh, we talked about minimalism. We talked about the nature stuff. Not thoroughly in either one of those. And we're, we're going to follow the trend and the mindset and discuss the the third and the big three and not you know fully get into all of it in the short one hour episode. You know, there are people that have been Buddhist for you know all of their lives. The the Dalai Lama is eighty something years old. Okay. And he's still diving in deep. So it, it it's kind of one of those things where I, I felt I felt pretty horrible about the idea that, you know, I'm I'm 40 years old and got such a late start, you know, but looking at the Dalai Lama at 80 something and he's still asking questions, you know, I, I feel like there's a, you know, that even if I didn't get it figured out, you know, being on that path is... You know, at least a good start and we'll see what happens kind of thing and it, it's every day pretty much every single day I I I learn a new thing as far as how how well Buddhism is helping change and shape my life right My, uh, my life at the beginning was a pretty average upbringing, kind of lower middle class, but mom and dad scraped and scrapped to get by and raised me and my sister and my brother in a relatively good upbringing and whatnot and um, whenever I was 14 my youngest brother was well my youngest full brother was born and then four years later I graduated from high school my parents get divorced and um, there, there's just a whole lot of stuff that happened in a in a short amount of time that was very life changing. Right? Like I said, I graduated, I went to college, I I failed out, my parents got divorced, my sister moved away, 
leaving me and my mom um, and my brother in the house. And, you know, at a time where traditionally I was supposed to be gone and, and, and beginning my adult life and, and, and doing stuff, you know, my sister hops up as, you know, and understandably, you know, she couldn't, she couldn't be in that house anymore. So she left and now here I am having to, you know, be dad to my brother. And because my mom is so distraught about all the stuff going on in her life, she she sinks into a vacuum of drugs and alcohol as well. And you know, my I I meet the I meet the girl that thoroughly sunk myself into drugs and alcohol for a good long while. Actually, until I, until I met my wife. Just all of this bad stuff happening. And I... just so from like 18 until let's see right right about 30 I turned 30 and then um, my wife come around I was into drugs and alcohol. I was doing uh, construction and remodeling. And in the winter time, there wasn't a whole lot to do. So I'd, I'd, I'd more or less be high and drunk the whole time. And then spring would roll around, we'd get back to work, and I wouldn't be high all the time, but as, as much as possible. I was responsible enough about it like whenever I was at work you know I wouldn't drink as much and I wouldn't smoke as much you know I I wouldn't I wouldn't I would wait to get really really trashed until I got home you know like a lot of people do whenever you know they they dread waking up in the morning and and they do wake up so and and because they hate it they got to get they got to get some coffee into their system so that they can wake up and get motivated to go to work. So they chemically stimulate themselves during the day so that they can make it through to the evening. They finally get get out of work and go home. And because they hate their life at work so much, they chemically depress themselves with, with drugs and alcohol all night long so that they can go to sleep because they hate their life so much. And then they wake up in the morning and they do it all over again. Right? That was that was me. It wasn't like my life was completely miserable. You know, I, I got to work with my dad. I got to learn some cool stuff about being a carpenter and and fixing stuff and that kind of thing. Skills that 
you know, I'm I'm holding on to today so that I can still use them, you know, tomorrow whenever, you know, depending on what the future brings, maybe I get to be a homeowner and I get to, you know, fix up the house and that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe because I still have all my tools and most of my skill and a little bit of my muscle memory that maybe I can, you know, start my own business or I can, you know, help a friend out with his business or help a friend, you know, spend the weekend helping a friend put a deck on the back of his house or something because I've, I've got the tools and I've got a little bit of that skill left, you know. But there was, there was always this thought that I was I was supposed to find God in all of that. You know, I, I knew that I had a drinking problem. I knew I had a drug problem, but I also knew that I had a problem with religion way before I had a problem with drugs or alcohol. bunch of questions that made a lot of people uncomfortable and nervous and didn't have the answers to so they they fell back on the old reliable well you just got to have faith well I, I just presented to you a bunch of evidence that kind of disproves your whole religion and your answer is just have faith Sorry, but no. But it, 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 that that programming was still there. It was still ingrained into me that you know you you had to love and respect and fear God, or you were going to burn in hell. So whenever whenever I found out that that hell wasn't a thing, and if hell's not a thing, then you know. Maybe this whole God thing's not a thing either. And dug into that and found out, well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty right there as well. Well, let's go find something else. And it felt like there was this, you know, this overwhelming need to, to follow some sort of a God or a religion or something. One of the first things to pop up was Buddhism. And, you know, I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say whether fortunately or unfortunately or better late than never or something, I guess. I, I don't know. But it, it didn't really kick in as to what, what Buddhism was to me until here recently. Right. At first, you know, it was I, I felt scared because I I didn't I didn't have God. There was no God. All of the things that I had that I had pointed out as as wrong with the religion that I had grown up with, everything that I had been taught as a child 
that, that I found all of that stuff to be wrong. I went to other religions and found out that all of the things that they were saying in Christianity, they were also saying in Islam and 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 all of the other all of the other religions. But they were all they were all based on stories, on folk tales told for many, many, many generations. Thousands of years. And it just so happens that somebody else, somebody in the Middle East wrote them down. And and then somebody else in India wrote them down. And somebody else in China. And somebody else in Africa. And somebody else in South America. They, they all they all traveled with these stories. And they told them generation after generation as a as an oral history, an oral tradition of of where their people come from. And every generation it got embellished a little bit. To the point where you know uh, the they rode their chariots across the sky their chariot of fire from one side of the sky to the other and then come back around the next day to do it all over again they didn't have a they didn't have a way of explaining that the, the earth spun and that's why that chariot of fire went across the sky. What I what I perceive to be anger and lies, like my anger because of the lies, I I eventually turned it into sympathy. And perhaps a bit of intrigue and excitement that that even though our most ancient ancestors didn't understand the things happening around them, they, they made an attempt to, to figure it out. They did the best they that they could with what they had. They told stories that, that taught lessons. It's kind of where the the whole thing of mythology is, um, and e- even the Bible, and even the Quran and the Kabbalah—you know—it it, they they tell these stories in there, and if if you take the whole religion thing out of it, if you take the whole fear of of burning in hell out of it, you take the whole fear of the invisible guy in the sky passing judgment on you and watching you every second of your life. This invisible this invisible guy in the sky who gives who gives innocent little children cancer and causes them to die. Who who has children born into a situation where they are they are grown up and handed 
firearms and told that that person over there is the enemy and you'll kill these people. Whoever walks across this line, you're going to take this weapon and you're going to kill them. And it's, it's religions that teach them to hate and it's religions that teach them to love. Okay? And if you take this whole religion thing out of it and you look at these stories as, as parables, stories that teach a lesson, then it becomes this whole other world. You find that that many civilizations all over the world, like, like India, like China, all over Africa, all over North and South America, all over the world, all of these little, and, and by civilization, I mean like, like tribes or societies or whatever that have, that have started, you know, the, the American society, the Russian society, you know, the, these, these people and, and their, their cultures and their traditions, they all, they all come from the, you know, a, a certain set of ancestors and they told a certain set of stories over and over and over throughout the generations. And they, they became like folk tales and stuff. And because we didn't have a written language, we couldn't write it down. We had to memorize these stories and say, oh, hey, you know, my, uh, my great-grandmother whenever I was a child told me that if I didn't stay in my bed at night the boogeyman was going to come and get me and the boogeyman existed over every culture and every generation and every society and it was a trick to get to scare kids into staying in their bed so that the parents could go to sleep so the parents could get the rest because mom and dad if you look at even at a modern family today, the mom and dad work and work and work and work, and by the end of the day, they are exhausted and ready to go to sleep. But the kids, kids have been hanging out all day playing video games and burning off zero amounts of energy. You know what I mean? So by the time bedtime rolls around, they're still hungry, they're still bored, they're still ready to go. They're still ready to pour out the energy and and continue to be this little whirlwind of excitement. But we parents, we're tired. We're ready to go to bed, and we and we we shower our children with with words like ADD and ADHD and hyperactive and and all this other stuff. So. Now that they've got that label, now that they've got this diagnosis, now we can give them drugs to treat this condition because they're not sick. They just got a tradition. They're not, they're not, you know, they're not being rude by staying awake. They're staying awake because they've got a condition, right? Didn't have anything to do with them not doing anything at all, all day long. And because they haven't burnt off their energy, or as my one son likes to call it, uh, he needs to get his wiggles out. 
because they haven't been able to get their wiggles out. We got to give them, we got to give them these drugs that, you know, that helps them go to sleep at night. And they help them sleep so well that in the morning, whenever they wake up, then we've got to give them another drug so that they're awake and they focus and they pay attention. Because we got them all, all wired up on speed in the morning, whenever they get home and it's time to go to bed, then we got to give them another drug to help them sleep. And because they slept so well that night, we got to give them another drug and so on and so on and so on. It's a recurring theme in, in most of the things I talk about. It, I, I point my finger at the love of stuff. Because, because we live in a society where, where oh, my pass fell off. That scared me. <laughs> because we live in a society where we are, we are more or less forced into a situation to, to take on the love of stuff. That, that stuff is more important than our family. That stuff is more important than ourselves. That we work these jobs, we work ourselves to death. We sacrifice our health. We sacrifice our time, our family to work jobs, to create products that aren't really absolutely necessary. And we, and our health declines all of our lives. And then finally, at the end of our work cycle, we finally reach an age where we've saved up enough money, hopefully, that we don't have to work anymore. And now we have to spend all of that time not working anymore, trying to recover our health and sacrificing all of the money that we had made and set aside so that we would have a good time celebrating our retirement now we get to spend all of that time battling cancer. And now, now at an age where our bodies are no longer capable of fighting off anything like that. Because we've spent all of our lives eating crap food, sitting in a chair, and, and just living an overall unhealthy lifestyle. Our body is not capable of fighting off any of this disease anymore. And after we've spent all of this time accumulating all of this stuff and accumulating all of this money and accumulating all of this success. Finally, at the end of it all, after all the fighting, after all the getting rid of everything, after all, spending all of the money, after it's all over with, you're left with nothing. You're left with nothing but regret. Regret that you didn't spend more time with the, 
your spouse, regret that you didn't spend more time with your loved ones, your, your family, your parents, your siblings, your cousins, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids. There's so many people involved in your life that you that you didn't get to spend enough time with because you were too busy working so that you could get more money so you, you could buy more stuff. And for why? It doesn't matter now. Here, here you are, lying on your deathbed, taking your last few breaths. It's about to be over. And the only thing that you've got left is regret. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be... I don't want that to be how it ends for me. It may have taken me 42 years to finally come to the realization that the, that the stuff didn't matter, that the stuff that mattered was spending time with my kids, spending time with my wife, spending time with people that that excite me, spending time with people that I love, spending time with people that make me a better person, spending time with people that make the world a better place. I spent a lot of time, or I used to, spend a lot of time listening to motivational speakers and they got me pumped up and full of energy and ready to take on the world but there was always something a little bit off about what they were saying something didn't feel right and I finally realized that their whole their whole mission in life was to get you motivated to to get a better job to make more money to buy more stuff and that what they were preaching was the same thing that society's been preaching to me all my life oh sorry about that I got a phone call again that it, they were preaching the same thing that I, I'm not happy right now and the only way I'm going to be happy is if I work harder, if I make more money, if I buy more stuff, if I get a bigger house. And that's, that's not me. I'm a minimalist now. I've, I've come to the realization that I don't need that stuff. My happiness doesn't, my happiness isn't, isn't wrapped up in a, and a blanket of stuff and a blanket of price tags. My happiness is wrapped up in in love. My happiness is wrapped up in purpose. Alright, I gotta I gotta pause. I circled the block too many times. I gotta I gotta do this delivery. I'll be right back. Hold on. All right. So I'm, I'm guessing to kind of finish up my point here is through 
through minimalism, ultimately leading me to Buddhism. I I found that that Buddhism is is kind of like a reinforcement the 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 following of these practices. It, it's not a religion. Okay. A lot of people consider it a religion because of the the vast amount of people that that follow the practice that follow that that are so much a part of it I think maybe the word I'm looking for that they they use it in their daily lives that they identify as Buddhist whenever they go around asking people questions about what religion are you what do you follow blah 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 the word Buddhist comes up a lot billions of times the word Buddhist comes up and it, it's considered a religion but if you actually look at Buddhism as compared to other religions and, and religions you are you know you've got this this deity that hands down these rules and laws that you are expected to follow right and if you don't follow these rules these codes these laws then you shall be punished for it. Alright. What I've picked up in my in my studies and my practice is that it's it's not laws, it's suggestions, it's guidelines, it's it's not it's not something that you're punished for not following. Here's here's ten things. Or I'm sorry, here's eight things. We'll try to get a, a more real number, like the eightfold path. Okay. Here's eight things. Do these eight things and you will attain enlightenment. You will achieve nirvana. You will you will you will find happiness beyond any level that you've perceived up to this point. And if you don't if you don't follow all eight of them, that's cool, man. They're just suggestions. You're still going to be happier now than you were before it's like for me I'm having a problem with being vegetarian but that doesn't mean I shouldn't spend any amount of time focusing on the rest of the path like okay I'm I'm dealing with some issues about being vegetarian let's let's kind of pause that for a little bit and, and focus on these other areas that you know, Buddha's like, hey, the the way I understand it, because I've asked a lot of questions, and there there's those hardcore people, you know, that here's the rules. You have to follow the rules, and if you don't follow the rules, then why bother? 
And then there's the other people that, the way I understand it, read a lot more of the words that Buddha spoke and and came to the realization, hey, you know, instead of, uh, you know, instead of being all sad and depressed that you're not following all the rules and, and getting nervous and scared that something bad's going to happen, just look at it this way, man. Here's all this stuff that I said. Take what you like. Hold on to it. And all this other stuff, if you don't like it, then forget about it. Don't worry about it, man. It's not a big deal. You're not going to go to hell. No hell. Hell is, hell is within you. Heaven is within you. you got to sort that all out for yourself. And if... If that means that you you start on this little area in the, you know, in, in number four or five of the Eightfold Path, and you, you grow out from there and you take other little pieces and, you know, it, it's, I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian and I perceive... I perceive what is being said as, you know, cause no suffering. Right? I I perceive that as don't kill animals or don't be the cause of killing animals. Right? But I'm I'm you know, forty two years of of being an omnivore and not thinking anything else of it. I I've got some I've got some stuff in my head to work out before I, I'm vegetarian. That makes sense. But just because, and and that was that was kind of my, my problem before. You know, I I, I started looking into Buddhism and and found out that I was going to have to be a vegetarian. Close that book, put it back on the shelf. I don't have nothing to do with that. Went out and grabbed me a double bacon cheeseburger with extra grease and extra meat. And <sighs> but now that I now that I've gone through this whole minimalist thing, and now I'm I'm going through this whole Buddhist thing, and I'm I'm opening my mind up to new ideas and. And, and and knowing that a lot of the stuff that I had had forced into my brain may or may not have been true so I, I'm I'm pulling all of that stuff apart and re-examining pretty much every area of my life and and coming at it from a minimalist point of view coming at it from a naturalist point of view coming at it from a Buddhist point of view to 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 re-examine life, to re-examine where, you know, where I want to be, how I want to, where I want to be, how I want to be, who I want to be, and not necessarily doing it so that the people around me are impressed, or doing it so that the, the people around me like me 
I'm not doing I'm not doing the things I do because I want other people to love me. I want to do these things so that so that I love me. And because I love me and I shine with a, a light of love and kindness and compassion, then have people love me for that. I don't want I don't want people to love me because I've got a cool back scratcher. I don't want people to love me because I've got a fast car. I want people to love me because because love. There's a, a concept that I, I'm that I'm kind of fresh to and I'm having a little bit of trouble. Accepting the idea that that you're supposed to find that person that makes you happy. And I'm having trouble accepting that because or I'm having trouble breaking away from that because that's that's what I've known all my life. You 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 find that person that completes you. But what I'm finding out is that you should be finding the, the person that you should be looking for is you. You should complete you. You should make you happy. And that Whenever you meet that special someone, whenever you meet your spouse, when you meet the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with, it's because you share that happiness. It's not because they make you happy or they complete you. It's because you are happy and you shine with love and light and they see that and they want to be a part of that. They are also happy. And if they aren't happy, you're just sucking the life out of each other. And it's, it, it's something I, I've been having some trouble getting a hold of because it was, you know, like I said, it was one of those things where I was told that you have to find that person that completes you, that makes you happy. But it doesn't have anything to do with them making me happy. It has everything to do with me making me happy them making themselves happy so that whenever I'm not around my spouse can be happy my spouse knows knows love for herself and that just because I'm not around doesn't mean that she's not happy it's been a very interesting concept for the last I don't know I'd call it a month trying to really dig into that and trying to apply that to my life and making me happy and making myself happy to the point that I really I'm really coming to an understanding that idea of of the second noble truth being 
suffering is caused by attachment. Suffering is caused by craving. That whole idea that that we we are attached to somebody because that somebody makes us happy. And if that person's not around, then we're not going to be happy. And if we're not going to be happy, then it's it's a binary thing. We're either happy or we're sad. We're spiraling out. And if you're not around, if I can't be around you, then I'm going to spiral out and throw myself off of the building. wrap this guy up, alright, because I'm going to start diving into some other topics and whatnot here, um, I, I dig this, alright, I dig being able to do this, I, I love just talking, just picking a topic and going with it and, and exploring Exploring every bit of it. I dig it. I dig it a lot. And I... I can't see me... I can't see me limiting myself to one episode a day like so far every episode that I've done for this podcast has been done in four hours alright and I'm not going to limit, limit myself to publishing one episode a day because well then I get all backlogged and I've got a whole bunch of episodes that need to be dealt with and that kind of thing so What's going to happen is, is that I'm just going to keep pressing record and, and making episodes. And whenever, whenever the day is over with and I get home, I am going to upload every episode that I've got and put them out there. And you can listen to them in whatever order you like, whenever you like, and whenever you do. I hope you go to your favorite social media place and you search for the hashtag walkaboutrich. Then I hope you continue the conversation with me. Okay. Contact me. Let me know what you think about the show. Okay. Share it with a friend. You think, you think one of your buddies would like it or, or something along those lines? Share it with them and, and, and discuss it with them. Then involve me in the discussion because I'd like to know as well. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna get off here, kids. Um, I got a delivery to do. I'll more than likely do at least another episode, probably, probably another couple episodes, just because I got a lot of a lot of catching up to do. All right, so you have yourself a fantastic day, and uh, contact me. Let me know what you think about the show, and I will talk to you later, man. Goodbye.